a lot of our Easter messages look back to what Jesus has done. Right? And there's, that, that's good. There's a time and a place to look back at what Jesus has done and consider like some of the arguments against skepticism and against the skeptics for what can prove the resurrection. And, and we like to go back to that day, that moment, and remember what Jesus' resurrection accomplishes for us. And, and then some Easter messages like to look at what Jesus is doing in the here and now and, and how can we really apply this new resurrection to our life. And, and, and there's a time and a place for both of those kind of Easter messages. But this morning, I want us to pause and I want us to look up. I want us to look up to the one who is seated and ruling in heaven and on earth here and now. I want us to look forward. And as we look forward, as we look up, I, I hope that it, it, it stirs hope and life into us. I don't know about you, but the last two years, I've spent a lot of time looking around, like listening to podcasts, listening to news, reading blogs, listening to other people's opinions and perspectives and insights, and I haven't found a whole lot of hope looking around. Have you? Turn on the news, it's nothing but hopeless. And so this morning, we need a word of hope. We need hope to be awakened in our soul. And in order to do that, we're going we're gonna to look to John. We're going we're gonna to receive wisdom and inspiration from a vision that the Apostle John had. John was one of Jesus' disciples. He walked with Jesus. He, he learned from Jesus. He experienced life with Jesus. He watched Jesus raised up on the cross. He witnessed the empty, empty tomb. He experienced the resurrected body of Jesus. And then over the years, from the time that Jesus was raised from the dead, he'd watched many of his friends and family members martyred and crucified in following Jesus. He's a man who's well acquainted with lost hope. He, he, he had his hope in Jesus that Jesus would be the Messiah. And he watched him upon that Roman cross, watched him put in the tomb with the, with the stone put in front of it. He, he watched his friend, not only did he have his hopes in Jesus being his Messiah, his Savior, but he was his friend, watched him die. Yes, he witnessed the empty tomb and the resurrected body, but he also saw many of his friends and family taken from him and, and put to death for following Jesus. And, and it was the Word of God. It was a vision from God that gave him hope. There's a proverb in chapter 29 that says, Without prophetic vision, people fail, they faint, they perish, or they run wild. We live in a world that's running wild, that's fainting, that's perishing, and it needs a prophetic vision, but not only does the world need a prophetic vision, you and I need a prophetic vision. And so let's look at this prophetic, prophetic vision this morning from the book of Revelation. I'm going to start in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. It's on page 1028 in the Pew Bible. This is the Apostle John receiving this vision, this word from God. Let's pick it up in verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, as we look at some of these passages this morning, you're going to see the word seven often. It represents completeness, wholeness. And so John is going to write a letter to the seven churches Seven specific churches in the first century, but it communicates to us all the churches, the universal church, here, here and now in the scriptures, but also here and now in our day and age. 
So the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Again, these, these numbers of seven represent completeness, fullness. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. As we gather on Good Friday, we remember the blood shed by Jesus upon the cross. And as we gather on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, we remember his overcoming sin and death in the grave. And I love this verse here as the Apostle John writes, To him who loves us. This is an ongoing act of love. God and His Son, Jesus, has an ongoing affection, a never-ending, never-giving-up, never-stopping love for you. And it's that love that sent Him to the cross to shed His blood. Now, here's the interesting thing in this verse. That's a one-time event. His ongoing, unending affection is not... His love for us remains. It's steadfast. It continues. He went to the cross once and for all to pay the penalty for our sins. God's unending love and affection for you led him to one act of redemption. And it says in verse 6, And he made us a kingdom of priests to his Father and God. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. Everybody will acknowledge this king. As Pastor Ben read this morning, every knee bow down, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will wail because they've rejected his lordship, and some will weep in joy because they've received him as king. John, hearing the word of the Lord, says, this is God speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last of the, the Greek alphabet, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Each one of us is swept up in a story, right? We have a history. Many of us have spent a lot of time trying to figure out our history. Why am I the way that I am? Why do I respond to certain situ situations in the way that I respond? You've done some counseling to figure out your childhood. You've done some Enneagram tests or some Myers-Briggs tests or some Strength Finders tests to figure out wh why are you the way that you are? What has shaped you? And we want to understand our history so that we can engage our present and then we can hopefully build a better future, right? We all have an individual story, but this is reminding us that we're swept up into a greater story. And the story isn't about you. The story isn't about me. The story is about the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. Amen? You're swept up into this story that, that long outdates you, came before you. God was there. He was present. He was watching over creation. He was breathing it into existence. He planned and ordered the days of your life. And He's with you in the here and now, helping to produce in you something that you can produce on your own. He's helping to build you into a better human being than you could ever be on your own. But not only that, there is a future. There's a future for you, but there's a future for you because there's an eternal, ever-existing God who's calling you into a greater future. 
John continues in verse 9. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus Christ. We have a forerunner in John who's endured suffering. The last couple of years have been hard for you for whatever reason. You're not alone. You join a great cloud of witnesses of sufferers. John here is exiled on the island of Patmos for proclaiming the word of God. He's suffering. He says in verse 9, I was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What's the Lord's day? Sunday. The people of God started worshiping Jesus on Sunday. Remember, Sabbath is the holy day, the day that in the Old Testament they would worship God and rest. But in the New Testament, after Jesus' resurrection, they turned Sunday into the holy day, the Lord's day, the day when Jesus overcame sin and death in the grave and came back to life, giving us new life to worship him. And so John, on this day, on Sunday, says he was in the Spirit, swept up into the Spirit. And, oh, church family, how desperately you and I need to be swept up into a different existence and reality. And it's there for us. The tangible, physical limitations that you feel is not all of your existence. There is an unseen reality that is pressing into our seen and experienced reality. There is a supernatural world that has come to reside in and among us. In the same way that John got swept up into the Spirit, you and I can be swept up into the Spirit. I hope you felt some of that as the team was singing these songs. I hope you feel that as you eat with family today. I hope you feel that. This invitation is here for us. You and I, like John, can be swept up into the Spirit on the Lord's day and on every day. And he says, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And so John is receiving this vision that would produce hope for the churches for the people of God throughout all of time. In fact, look up at verse 3 with me. John says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. These words, this prophecy, this vision is given to help stir hope in the people of God for all of time. And so then chapters 2 and 3 deal with these letters that, that John writes to the churches, the seven churches in Asia Minor, uh, in what is now Turkey. But it remember, seven, it, it communicates wholeness, completeness, and he's writing to the universal global church. And we're not going to go through these letters and look at each church address. What I want you to do is now jump with me to chapter 4. So John receives this vision where God tells him what to communicate to the churches about their different their, their good qualities and their, their bad qualities. God is using chapters 2 and 3 to help sharpen his people, to shape his church. And then we get into chapter 4, which is where we really get this look into the heaven real, heavenly realities that are pressing into our earthly existences. Chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. How many times in conversation do we say, you know, if you're a Christian, like, I'm just praying that God would open a door. I'm looking for a new job. I'm looking for a spouse. I'm looking for a place to live. I'm looking for some kind of connection. I'm just praying for God to open some doors. And even if you're a non-Christian, you probably use that phrase, like, yeah, I just need some doors to open for me. I'm trying to see which doors will be open. 
And here we get this glimpse at this heavenly door that is open. See, the reason we use this phrase, we're, we're waiting for open doors, is because through different doorways are different experiences and different looks at different things. When you walk out your front door, I mean, I love in the Chronicles of, not the Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, Bilbo says it's dangerous business walking out your front door. He likes to sit in his little hut and read his books. But he's invited onto this adventure, this journey, and outside that door is this whole world of adventure and risk and challenge and joy that he couldn't experience inside. In this closed, contained space that only had what he was familiar with. And then he goes out and there's this whole world that he was unfamiliar with. That's why we use this conversation about doors. What's behind that door? What's behind that door? What happens when you walk out your door? What happens when you come in your door? And here, God is giving us a look into the heavens. The doorway to heaven is open. Books written about people who have died for like a minute and gone to heaven over the last years have been one of the best sellers, among the best-selling categories of books. And most of them are trash. Sorry if you've written a book about going to heaven. Because most of them don't capture what we're about to see. If you've ever, if you've ever wondered what heaven is like, what God is like, if you've ever just longed to experience something different here and now, like to experience the glory of God, if you've ever longed to experience life outside of like your own physical, mental, intellectual limitations, you ever been there? Like we're just, we're just, just sick of being bound by you and the world that you live in? Like, if only I could break out, if only I could see something more, if only I could experience something deeper, more powerful, more meaningful. This life seems dull and drab and constricting, and, and I'm losing hope. Here's your window into something more. John says, I looked up, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, come up here, come up here. Enter this heavenly vision, this heavenly realm, this heavenly existence, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne stood in heaven, and one was seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had an appearance of an emerald. There's a throne in heaven. All of us, in, we don't king people in America, right? Like, we, we're past that, right? We're a democracy. But throughout the history of the world, kings and queens, they ruled and they sat on thrones. And even though we're a democracy and we don't king people, you and I, we certain we certainly have little thrones in our lives, right? Little things that we kind of set up as gods, whether it's a spouse or a parent or a child or a job or a career. There's things that we tend to put upon the throne. Maybe it's ourselves, our own intellect, our own wisdom, our own ability, or maybe our inability. Maybe somehow our inability has climbed its way up on the throne and we're despondent because we feel incapable. And here we're reminded that there's one on the throne, and it's not you, and it's not me, and it's not your career, and it's not your spouse, or lack thereof spouse, and it's not your limitations. It's God. And on this throne, there's, there's all these beautiful colors and, and substances. There's jasper and carnelian and emerald, these beautiful colors. They, they communicated royalty and majesty and wealth. 
well, right? That's the way to, to experience wealth. Emeralds and like, we have cryptocurrency. What is that? You can't even see it. Or like a crumbled up dollar bill in your pocket that has lint all over it. This throne that God is on, it's surrounded with wealth and power and glory and majesty. And around the throne, there were 24 thrones. And seated on the throne were 24 elders clothed in white garments with gold crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, and the second living creature like an ox, and the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We're wrapped up in a story. We're caught in a story that existed before us, that is being maintained and written for us, and that will go on into eternity. Now there's these four thrones around the one, or 24 thrones around the one throne, and 24 elders, and there's a hundred different interpretations of what the 24 elders is. I tend to think it's representative of the 12 tribes of, tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of the New Testament saying that now Jews and Gentiles like all peoples will be worshiping Jesus on his throne. But whatever the scene is, there's people who have power and authority and leadership here on earth who are bowing down to King Jesus in heaven. And remember, this is a future reality, but it's also what's happening in the heavenly realms here and now. When you get stuck and despondent in your small little life, remember what is happening in the unseen realm. This worship, this glory, this proclamation of who God is and what Jesus has done. These four living creatures, there's different takes about what these mean. I tend to think that the lion represents nobility, right? The lion is the most noble of animals. The ox represents strength. They would use them to, to carry heavy loads. The, the face of a man represents wisdom. Man is the wisest of all created beings, and the fourth in eagle, swiftness, it's the spirit, it's the coming and going of God. And all of these things are gathered around the throne to worship the Lord, saying, Holy, 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 all of creation. Verse 9, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who is seated on the throne, and they, they worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before Him. Throughout history, many different nations, and particularly the Roman nation, when they would conquer another kingdom, the king that was conquered would have to come into the presence of the king who did the conquering and throw his crown down in a sign of submission. And here the elders, the leaders of the church throughout history are coming before King Jesus and saying, Our crowns are thrown at your feet, your throne, your beloved king. 
And they say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This scene that we're swept up to, swept up into, into the heavenlies, doesn't end there. Stick with me a little bit longer. We're going to keep going into Revelation 5. Then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Kings would often have scrolls that, that had verdicts or like an edict for the people, for the nation. And so there's a scroll by the throne that the king has. John says, and I, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? These scrolls were sealed and only certain people, the king particularly, could read it. And no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was made able to open the scroll or to look into it. And it began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open or look into it. There's a picture of John again losing hope. Remember how much he's seen, church family. He walked with Jesus in person. He watched Jesus crucified. He saw Jesus put in the tomb. He saw the empty tomb. He experienced Jesus' resurrected body. He had conversations and a meal with Jesus. He ate with the resurrected Christ. He received the Holy Spirit. He saw the church blossom and bloom underneath the midst of first century persecution. He's had this vision and interaction of God. Remember, we're in chapter 5 now. There's there's chapters that come before this where he's watching God in the heavenlies and now when there's no one worthy to open the scroll, he has again lost hope because his perspective is limited. His vision is limited. He's dependent on somebody else to give him a greater perspective, a greater vision, something that has to come from outside of himself and it's not going to come from one of his peers. Right? It's not going to come from the right blog or the right podcast or the right news channel comes from one of the elders in the throne room saying, verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Your hopelessness will be turned into hope. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, a, a name given to the Messiah, to Jesus the Christ. The Root of David, again, a name reserved for the Messiah. He has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. The lamb who was slain for the sins of the world is here in the scene. And with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Jesus comes to God and he takes the scroll from God. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and your blood, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Amen? That's why you're here today. You are from a different tribe, language, people, and nation than Jesus in first century Judaism in Jerusalem. Are you not? 
And so we're the recipients of this. This vision that John has was 2,000 years ago, and he's predicting what's going to happen in the future, but he's also predicting what's continually going on, that there is this heavenly existence and reality right here and now where there's these creatures, these elders, the people who have gone before us who are worshiping King Jesus, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you are the one who was slain, and by your blood a people are ransomed. You and I can sing today because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Verse 11, And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Do you see this scene? Thousands and thousands of angels and creatures and elders and saints who have gone before us. Saying with loud voice, you guys sang pretty loudly. With our last song, let's do a little better. Let's try and match what's happening here in this heavenly reality. Let's, let, let's see heaven and earth kiss. Because you know what? That's happening. There, there, there's this reality in heaven, this supernatural reality that is being pressed into our natural reality here and now. You and I aren't void or, or we're not, we're not living without the presence of God. He's pressing in on us. And we say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. I don't know where you're at this Easter morning in your faith journey. Maybe you're a Christian who's tired and worn out and lacking hope. Maybe you're a Christian who's not lacking hope. You have hope and you're ready to do this. Maybe you're a non-Christian. Maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're agnostic or, or an atheist. Wherever you're at, I I hope that looking at this helps you to see this alternate reality that actually exists here and now and is pressing into our earthly reality. This is where hope comes from, church family. Hope hope doesn't come from bettering yourself and me giving you seven great applications for your Easter brunch. Hope comes from the sevens in this scripture who are worshiping the one who is worthy. And so what I want for you this Easter season, what I want for you this Easter morning and as you go throughout your day is to get swept up into this reality that God is on the throne, that Jesus, the Lamb who is slain, the Lion who is worthy, is opening the scroll and you and I need to get lost in that story. Amen? Let me pray and the worship team is going to come and lead us out. And let's try and match the excitement of this scene. Let's try and experience it together for the glory of God, the good of our own souls, and the advancement of this gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who is worthy. You were capable to open the scroll just the, the, the way that you were capable to overcome sin and death in the grave. You, you were capable of living a perfect life because you perfectly trusted the Father. You were capable of being a sacrificial lamb who was slaughtered in our place in our behalf. And you were capable to overcome sin and death in the grave because you trusted God unto death. 
And so we worship you this morning because you're capable and because you're worthy. You're worthy of our worship and praise. And so I pray that you would stir in our hearts a greater affection for you. Lord, may we may we get our eyes off of all the chaos and the confusion and the hopelessness for just a moment. And may we have hope awake as we worship the King of this world. In Jesus' name, amen.